Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This time it's a T-Watts and T-R edition. Travis Schreier and BOL site publisher, Tim Watts. Tim, it's been a little while. Uh, you've been on the roads, I know. You've been very busy with the recruiting in June. And uh, and I bet you were up late last night watching game one of that NBA final. Yeah, I've enjoyed the NBA playoffs this year. I to me, especially this championship, it's just a completely different role of guys we're used to seeing. I mean, both teams have a lot of guys they drafted, which I like. You know what I was, it hit me? Charles Power used to be with BOL text me. We were talking. There is an absurd lack of tattoos in this game. You just, when you look, most of the guys just don't have tattoos, which is a rarity in any sport, but especially the NBA. You see a lot of the guys, the young guys come in with them. But when you look up, you see Chris Paul. Devin Booker, Giannis Middleton, those are some of the nicest, quietest guys in the league. So the the tone of this championship from what we're used to with such big personalities like LeBron James or Steph Curry or you know Kevin Durant, a million other guys, there's always such big personalities. These superstars are pretty quiet. Uh, well, I'm excited. You know, somebody's getting their ring for the first time, so that's a that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, it is. I guess my problem with it is it is sort of just so subdued in the manner in which you just outlined for us there. And it almost feels like this is Toronto playing Toronto a couple of years ago. You know what I mean? No, no, there's no doubt. This is the boring, probably the most boring championship we'll ever see. I mean, it's the most boring I can remember in a long time. So as boring, I mean, uh, there's no storylines, you know, other than injuries, uh, Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor's was the biggest. Oh my goodness! Drama. I don't want to get into that, but leading into this, that was the biggest drama we had. We don't have any trash talkers, uh, as far as you know, in the media they say the right thing. Just totally different feel. And you're right. If you me, I love it. It's good basketball. You won't find a better player right now than than uh, Middleton for the Bucks. He's about as good as you're going to see. And Devin Booker. You know, I watch a lot of late night basketball. You know, I'm up late. I watch. I've always been watching guys like uh, Damian Lillard and Colin Kaepernick. When nobody's really talking about them, you know, in the South, I was watching them a lot because I'm up late. I'm a night owl, so I'm very familiar with this Suns team and how good they are. And uh, Aiden himself is one of the best big men in the game. He's been fantastic all year, and nobody really talks about him. You know, it's that West Coast thing. You know, Otani's over there, literally. Um, you know, you know, pitching, hitting. He pitched seven innings last night. He's got 31 home runs or something. He pitched seven innings last night. And we barely. During the home run derby coming up. We barely yeah. hear about him. And of course, you know, when you think about it, we're used to that because of with what. the wrong team in LA. Yeah. Well, we saw that with Mike Trout, who's been the best generational yeah. talent 
I mean, he's right there with Griffey as far as the best baseball player. Obviously, Bonds and those guys were good, but um, my asterisk remains. But uh, Trout, you know, you don't hear much about Trout. You hear much about Otani. You're right. So if you're not with the Dodgers, you're not with the Lakers. Even the Clippers don't get the press. You think they would when they had such you know superstars and at one time they had Chris Paul. But the playoffs leading up to this, you know, you had. You had very chippy Pat Beverly. You know, Paul George was chippy. You had Trey Young over there. The Hawks were were certainly feisty. So we had a lot of activity. And then the two guys, good guys won. The well-behaved ones won. And it's rather boring. But I The Catholic it. school teams won. It's like two Catholic school teams in a final. For me, I love it. I love seeing a. I love seeing the guard play that we're seeing. I'm a big uh, Drew Holiday fan. We covered him in uh, – uh, AAU basketball back when I was a younger man, and uh, obviously Chris Paul I'm familiar with, having been a Hornets and Pelicans fan, so it's fun to watch. And Chris Paul last night really turned it on after that first quarter, and even with the production he gives them, the tangible contributions he gives that team, he has grown those guys up so much. The mentorship he's provided to Booker, and probably even more so DeAndre Ayton, who you were wondering about a little bit. You understood DeAndre Ayton was a legit number one overall type talent, but uh, I'm not sure if he's to this point yet, if Chris Paul doesn't show up out in the desert. Uh, Chris Paul has got that ability, you know, to make, he definitely makes people better. Even when he's, like you said, even when he's not having a great game, Chris Paul's impacting the game because he's running the floor. There's a confidence. The dude, I mean, the dude is one of the most confident guys you'll find in the league. So, uh, definitely knows how to get under your skin. You know, you know the closeout of that Suns-Clippers game was classic Chris Paul. Pat Beverly had talked trash. He's the king of talking trash and smiling. And Paul got under his skin so much he shoved him down from behind, which was, you know, that to me that's a goat move. You get under somebody's skin who gets under everybody else's skin, then you're doing something right. So, so the finals for the NBA, uh, we don't have a uh, – we don't have a Draymond Green type. We don't have a Dennis Rodman type. So it took Rachel Nichols to get suspended, basically, from this finals. But, look, we love hoops here on the podcast, but obviously coming off a huge month of football recruiting, basketball too, Nate Oates and his staff welcoming numerous four- and five-star prospects to the capstone. But an emphasis on football as we get going here today, Tim, because – a huge, perhaps, re-announcement for Alabama coming up here in the next day or so in the form of a edge defender who I know is from your neck of the woods up there in the Birmingham area and specifically Thompson High School. Yeah, Jeremiah Alexander said to commit tomorrow. Um, you know, I've known this kid since he was like five or six years old. Always been a great guy. His family's very, you know, very, very good people, very strict people too, so it's not surprising that uh, Jeremy Myers handled this process. And I know a lot of people get caught up with the social media. I'm not one. I have kids. I, I mean, I understand half the time they don't mean what they say on social media or don't understand the ramifications. But Jeremiah is a good kid, you know, as far as people go. So it's not surprising that on the visits he went to that he made friends and, and, and had a good time and enjoyed it. So we've seen some Clemson love, some Georgia love and all that. But I think at the end of the day, you know, with Alabama sits in good shape, uh, he's been to Alabama a few times. It's a, uh, you know, since his Clemson visit, he's very familiar with the with the capstone, and he's coming tomorrow with his uh, on his mother's birthday 
So Clemson's in there. Georgia's, you know, on the outside looking in. But, you know, national top ten talent. I mean, this guy's a legitimate monster and game changer. Just very physical kid. You know, it's funny. He's been like that since he was a kid. He was always that kid that was too big to be at third base, you know, when you saw him. And too big to be. Check uh, his birth certificate. And, yeah, he, and, he, yeah. He wasn't quite that big, but he was so thick, you know. Right. Too young to have muscles, but either at nine or ten, he was just a big, thick kid. So kind of knew he was going to grow into, to, into his dad's a big man. So you kind of knew he'd grow into that. But yeah, I think tomorrow. I don't think he's actually set a time, or I'm not aware of the time yet. But sometime tomorrow, he's supposed to commit again. Alabama with some commitments of late for the 2022. Excuse me, yeah, the 2022 cycle. Uh, Amari Nyblock. Uh, the athlete from the state of Florida. We've seen a bit of a return of the camp phenoms, I guess, uh, in some ways, Tim, with Nye Block committing after a strong performance and then an in-state standout. And Kobe Prentice here in the last week or so apparently turned some heads in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. You know, Alabama loves to recruit, but they love their camps. We've always said they trust their in-person evals and look there's guys i mean the, the right now i get the fans i see them on the message board they're a little thrown off because alabama's committing three stars and passing on five stars but that's legitimately what's happening but i will say the five stars today aren't necessarily the five stars in december they're you know everybody's in the same boat there was a extended period of time where you didn't get them on campus where you didn't see them at camps where you didn't see them uh, you know, even the seasons for a lot of these guys weren't 100 percent what you're used to because they went through so many delays and everything. So there's a lot of people behind um, the curve here with rankings. College coaches will tell me I've had a dozen tell me how busy June was trying to make up basically for a two year window where they didn't see these guys. But you have to trust the staff knows what they're doing when they're looking at them eyeball to eyeball. and They're seeing them work out and they're you know, they're seeing their exact height. And their way, you know, Mario Nyblack's a classic example. While he was there, they were I was hearing rumor right away that he was absolutely killing the camp. That he looked great, was a freak. I had three different people, including one high school person in Florida, use the term of freak um, athleticism. So guy could project on either side of the ball, got an offer and committed pretty quick after that. Antonio Kite, you know, he committed this week. Didn't didn't camp at Alabama, had an ankle injury, but this is a guy. You know, and I encourage people, don't just look at star rankings. That's easy. That's lazy. That's short-sighted. At least jump in the game and look at the film and tell you, you know, tell yourself, you know, educate yourself on what you think this kid is. If you look at Antonio Kite's film and you tell me this kid's a three-star, I'd be shocked. Even the most jaded person. This is an athletic kid, six foot one, 180 pounds. You know, I compared him to Eddie Jackson the other day and some balked. But when we talked about Eddie Jackson over Jalen Ramsey, they balked too. So there's a history of Balkan, you know, with fans, you know, just not wanting to bleed. But it's at some point, you know, look at the film. You trust these evaluations. But Kite's another one. And Kobe Prentice, who you mentioned, who's a wide receiver from Clara. He's committed to Maryland, went to Alabama's camp. I'm told he was super competitive, very, very competitive, uh, wanting to work out multiple times. And the one thing he's got, he's got speed. And speed translates. You know, if nothing else translates in sports – and especially football speed translates. So he's fast. Tell you one thing about him I really like is his balance. If you watch his highlight tape, when he's hit, he's not that guy going down. You might assume he's going down, you know, five foot eleven, 170 pounds or so. You might assume he's going to take the hit and go down, but it's hard to get a clean hit on him. 
And when you do, he's got exceptional balance. So good track guy. But you're seeing this Alabama staff really flourish um, in their element. This is their element, the camps. Again, recent commitments from Antonio Kite, Amari Nyblack, and a highly anticipated decision expected to be revealed on Thursday when Jeremiah Alexander, the five-star edge defender, lets everyone know one more time where he expects to play his college football beginning in 2022. Hey, you know one you know one thing Alabama doesn't have committed right now for the 2022 class? It is a player by the name of Jones. And throughout the years, Alabama has just loaded up on the Joneses. We go throughout really the entirety of the Nick Saban era, and you can spot them just about, Tim. Whether you talk about Christian Jones in 2011, well, you got to start with the two in 2008, right? Julio and Barrett Jones, uh, maybe at the top of this list. Cyrus Jones, 2012, Tyron Jones, and Walker Jones, younger brother of Barrett in 2013. Hootie Jones in 2014, Matt Jones in 2017. So what I wanted to do today before we head to our next break and we get into some BOL roundtable mailbag discussion coming up a little bit later in the podcast, Jones's power rankings for Alabama in the Nick Saban era. And I guess, though, Tim, if you really boil it down, and with all due respect to all the Joneses we mentioned, hell, there was even almost a, a Kendall Hulk Jones edition, I guess, five or six years ago out of the state of Texas um, is it a pool of just four or five guys that we're going to try to go over here? And, you know, with Mac Barrett, Julio, in some order, you would think in the top three, and then maybe Cyrus or Christian in that four or five range. Yeah, I think you have to include Cyrus. I mean, when I look at this group, it covers a little bit of everything. You look at, you know, best career, biggest impact, best season. Um, there's a lot of guys that could vote different ways with this where, you know, that Christian to me is always going to be a guy that's a little underappreciated, even by myself. I don't mention him nearly as much as I probably should. But, yeah, I think you're narrowing it down to those five guys. I mean, you're looking at, you know, it's hard to put Hootie in there, although he played. Tyron didn't make it very long. Walker had, was a role player. But those other five guys, I think, you know, there's a, there's a pretty good debate there for some of them. So in that four or five spot with Cyrus and Christian, you talk about the credentials. Cyrus Jones, Cotton Bowl MVP in that 2015, actually I think it was the 2016 college football playoff that capped the 2015 season. You know, Cyrus evolved into a really good cornerback who could play in some sub-package roles as well, but initially he came to Alabama like he might be on the offensive side of the ball, Tim. Yeah, that's you know, I was one of those guys that thought he could project over there pretty easily. I wasn't the only one. I know the staff. You know, the, sometimes you see the staff and you'll have them basically fighting for a kid. You know, you'll see a guy that's so good on both sides of the ball. There's a debate. Where does he fit in? And, and, and I think there was a chance he could have been a good slot receiver. He had good ball skills. He had good size for a slot seat receiver. Uh, five foot ten, but he was thick. He was muscular. He was athletic. So pretty sure we listed him as an athlete, top 100 type kid who uh, – had uh, several good offers, but, you know, reaching into Baltimore, Maryland, getting another big-name kid, finding a guy that come in to impact. I thought he would have had a bigger role 
on special teams. I mean, I know there's some stiff competition around there, but um, yeah, good career. Ended up, I think, a second round draft pick by the, the Ravens, was it? No, it's not the Ravens. The Patriots. The, uh, Patriots, yeah. yeah. Second round pick by the Patriots. I think he's with the Ravens now, or that was his last team. So, uh, yeah, good career. I'd say he panned out fairly well. You talk about the special teams aspect of Cyrus's career. And he was actually sort of blocked out on punt returns there for a couple of years because Christian Jones yeah, uh, was handling those duties. And Christian was the 2013 SEC Special Teams Player of the Year, had a kickoff return and a punt return in that opener in 2013 against Virginia Tech for touchdowns. And you know Cyrus wrapped up his career in 2015 with four punt returns for scores uh, in that final season for him. So the Jones guys – pretty good back there on punts yeah not bad at all christian was always that guy he was electric you know even if he didn't have a big return there was a threat i mean he affected the he he could flip the field just trying to avoid from you know kicking to him you know he was a guy that was could run he was fast he was elusive and uh you know to me out of all the big name guys he's probably the one that probably didn't get enough love in the recruiting process sort of just snuck right you know snuck right through it and uh Certainly had a good career, too. Yeah, we talk about some of these guys like Kobe Prentice and Antonio Kite in, in the most recent recruiting class. Cyrus and Christian were similar type prospects. They were guys that you could project on maybe either side of the ball, athlete types. Uh, Christian had that fantastic 2013, especially in the return game. 2014, not so much. In fact, you saw both Cyrus and Christian return punts in that 2014 season, I'd probably still go with Christian by just a nod, just an edge, uh, just a, just a tad maybe of the two, but, uh, four or five there in some order. I don't think you could go wrong with Cyrus and Christian Jones where it gets difficult now, at least for me, I know a lot of people are going to look at these three other Joneses, Barrett, Julio and Matt and go, well, that's easy. You know, Julio is going to be the guy at the top. I might surprise you, though, Tim, with my number one. Is it is it that easy for you to put Julio number one? No, to be honest. And to me, when you look at these three guys, you're looking at like, you know, to me, who's the most talented? You know, to me, it's Julio. And who had the best career? To me, it's Barrett. But who had by far the best season probably was Matt Jones. So there's a lot of variables, a lot of variables here. I mean, Barrett, you know, started several years at several different positions. Julio probably the biggest impact recruit Alabama Nick Saban signed. I mean, even to this day, he's still the biggest to me. Had to have him. You know, the board says got to have him a lot. Julio was the only one I'm really aware of that I feel had to have him. I think everybody else would have just been a, you know, a little, a little, you know, a little bit of a slam if they didn't get him. It would have been a little bit hurt feelings or whatever to lose a kid uh, in the state like that. But Julio was a must get from a talent standpoint, a perception standpoint, uh, number one player in the state, number one, I mean, not to mention mobile where Alabama had really struggled. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't, I don't agree. I don't, I mean, I agree that it's not going to be easy because I think you put them all in three different categories. I'm going to duck when I do this, but I've got Julio third, of those three. I know. And I understand exactly what you said and why I think these three are so tight. They're bunched together. They're running three wide, I guess you could say, to borrow some NASCAR uh, terminology. And for Julio, if he's your guy, I think 
the separation has to be exactly what you just said. What his commitment to Alabama at that time meant to getting what, what, what else followed, everything else that followed. I think you can point to Julio and PJ Scott and some of those guys in that 2008 class and say, that was the guy or those were the guys. And of course, Barrett was a part of that class too, not as renowned. Um, but also what makes it difficult. I mean, we're talking about different dudes at different positions, different qualifiers for what you might use versus what someone else might use in making the distinctions here. Um, but Julio was the sec freshman of the year in 2008. He was all sec in 2010, 2009, Alabama's national championship season with Julio wasn't his best year, but he certainly had some memorable moments. Nonetheless, he had the, the quick screen against LSU, you know, that he turned into like a 79 yard touchdown. That was absolutely huge. So, um, well, who do you got third of these three? And I don't know. I feel dirty for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, Tim. Nobody's listening. I feel – I just feel like I'm being so unfair. I mean, I would go – God, I hate to say this. I, I would go with Mac. Oh. I would go with Mac simply because I'm ha- we're having to split hair so much. He had the one season. It was the best se- – I think it's the best season I've ever seen. Uh for a quarter, one of the best. I mean, I think it was right there with Joe Burrow's season, to be honest with you. Um, unbelievable season, and it wasn't just the surrounding talent and all that stuff. People say had a great year, overcame a lot of stuff. Nobody really expected it to happen. So obviously, I'm a little sentimental about sentimental about Mac because he bucked the odds. We predicted it, you know. Whenever a lot of people were predicting Bryce, we predicted Mac was at least going to, you know, had the locker room was going to be tough to beat. So I feel dirty saying Mac at three, but I'd go with Mac simply because it was a one-year stint and Julio and Barrett had longer uh, careers. Yeah, I I can't really argue with that. I just – I have these three literally together, and now we're splitting hairs. In my opinion, we are now. Look, based on each individual's criteria, it may not be all that difficult to make the distinctions here again. But uh, I've got Mac number two. Uh, Davey O'Brien award winner, Johnny Unitas golden arm award winner, Manning award winner, consensus all American. And also with Barrett and Mac, you're looking at some academic stuff involved here too. Mac, the sec scholar athlete of the year for last year. And so by just a little bit, I've got, uh, Mac Jones and also his story, kind of the path he took is the other quarterback in that 2000. Um, and 17 class behind Tua Tonga by You know, a lot of folks felt like maybe he should have stuck with that initial commitment to Kentucky. Wasn't going to have much of a chance to play at Alabama. And then, as you pointed out, just a season for all time, right on the heels of what Tua did for a couple of years behind center. So two and one for you, um, I guess Barrett and, uh, and Julio is what you're down to. I, I think I, I, I've made it kind of known who my number one guy is. Yeah, I'll go, you know, for me, the first thing that jumped out to me as number one was Barrett. And I'll stick with that. I mean, the thing about Barrett was played so many positions. He was an academic guy. He was a legacy. His dad, Rex, played at Alabama. He did so much. And I'll never forget, you know, it's weird because there's plays 
You know, Julio screen pass against LSU is a play I'll never forget. And I'll never forget Barrett shoving A.J. McCarron while they were beating Notre Dame fairly well. Um, the fire, you know, how fiery he was, really good player. I mean, didn't didn't project to the NFL, obviously, but, I mean, the guy has, you know, I pulled up his Wicked page. He's got a pretty long one, career highlights and awards, All-Americans, three champion, you know, national championships, several award, uh, first team All-SEC, 11 and 12, you know, I don't even know. He's won so many awards, I don't even know some of the names. I don't know who William B. Campbell is, but he, he won it. Somehow he won the Werfel Award. I don't know if that's named after Danny, but whatever. Yeah. Um, I just think Barrett did so much for that team. I mean, and again, you anybody on the on the round table could rank these guys, and I couldn't say you're wrong. There's no way that, no. that top three is wrong because Julio, even at two, feels so wrong. I mean, he's the freak of all freaks. You know, the first time I saw him on film, the first time I saw him in person at the Hoover Seven on Seven, watching him. I mean, the, you know, the Falcons traded a whole draft to get him. You know, this guy has been uh, the freak of all freaks. You know, you won't talk about, you know, a more quiet Hall of Fame type player than him either. I don't know if we've ever we ever even hear Julio's name uh, other than his stats and his highlights. So I would go Barrett one, Julio two, Mac three. But you could easily flip it, roll it around and put Julio. You can put him anywhere. But like I said, my first thoughts were best career was Barrett, most talented was Julio, and best season ever was Max. So really, mm-hmm. really good debate. I didn't expect it to be this good. Yeah, you know, and Julio working against him was the fact of these three guys, he's the only three and out. You know, Mac was a four-year guy. Barrett was a five-year guy. So, again, depending on what ingredients go into your sort of pot of making these type of distinctions – uh, you know, that could that could be something that you you gotta take into account with Julio for sure. Really, I can't even imagine him one year more year in college because you know he came out of the gate and was a monster monster in the pros. So imagine him at the SEC one more year. Oh yeah. Think of him with that two thousand and eleven team helping AJ McCarron break in as a starting quarterback with that defense on the other side, Trent Richardson in the backfield. Um, you know, and that offensive line that Alabama developed. I've I've got Barrett number one, maybe the most decorated Alabama player of all time. When you include academics, and I mean, on the field, this is a guy who won the most prestigious honor that goes to a lineman, the Outland Trophy. He also won the Remington Trophy as the top center in college football. So he did it at left tackle when they needed him to in 2011, he did it at center when they needed him to do it in 2012. Uh, and he did it at guard, uh, in nine and 10. So, uh, Barrett, Barrett top the bottom stuff to beat. When Barrett went to the Alabama camp, he was there as a tight end. Never forget <laughs> that. that was a pretty interesting story. That's the one where Mark Godfrey called me about him and said, Hey, um, he's not giving me attention, but my former roommate has a son named Barrett who's here for camp. And they, uh, uh, not showing him a lot of attention, and Auburn just offered it. And I said, yeah, and I found out he was with the tight ends. And they're like, hell, he needs to be with the offensive linemen. <laughs> uh, that was just that's just a pretty funny call from Mark Godfrey, I guess. Well, Brett- G, G's an old point guard, so, you know, no surprise he gets an assist there, I guess, right? Yeah. It was just pretty interesting. He called like, hey, I don't know what's going on, but my buddy Rex's son is over at camp. <laughs> gets no attention. Nobody seems to know where he is. Who he is, really. He was young. I think he's going to do his sophomore year. But Auburn, he had just camped at, I believe, and got an offer. So he was already blowing up. I think that Auburn offer let Dad get him going a little bit, you know? 
Yeah, well, Barrett on the hoof, he never was, you know, DJ Fluker-like, you know. Um, You could see where that could happen in a camp setting. Because you said it, kind of more of a look of a tight end, and you're thinking big picture, this guy is going to be a guard, an interior lineman primarily, but also can play some tackles. So um, I guess that would be understandable. Our boy Dave Unger was running tight ends back then. Yeah, Dave Unger running those tight ends and special teams. That was a man. We went up to North Alabama late in the season in playoffs. That's Deschler we went up to, I think, around 2005 or so, wasn't it? Seems like it was. He was he was wearing no socks and loafers, and his feet <laughs> were blue. And well, you know, Dave's originally from like Connecticut, dude, New York yeah, State, so like, no big no big deal to Dave. You know, said, December dude, in sure, Alabama. I'm pretty sure you're a toe sweat away from frostbite right now. You're, <laughs> you're blue. You're not fine. I don't even feel it. I said it's because it's numb. Mm-hmm. Feel mm-hmm. your, but he was out there just in there. So I think pretty sure he was the tight ends coach when all that went down. So interesting story with Barrett. Good discussion. I, you know, I think a lot. I think if you ask ten people, you definitely would have a pretty heated debate on this. But I think you could flip over it. And like I said, Max so fresh, it's hard to rank him anywhere. Yeah, we just saw what he did. It was amazing. I mean, it really was. It's the best. It was that this past Alabama team is probably the funnest Alabama team I really remember. That '09 group was really was really good. It was fun, but this group just had a little special vibe to them, where they all got along. They were always grinning, you know, didn't make us sweat too much. No, no. Nick Saban really enjoyed that team with everything that was involved with COVID and you know all the protocols. Uh, it sounded like just to hear him describe it. Sounded like that team made life as easy as it possibly could have been, given you know social unrest and everything that led up to that 2020 season in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, they apparently were a coach's dream, just to hear I think Nick say. I think they were really good kids. Let me be clear with that. I think a lot of those guys, you know, made sacrifices to come back. Matt could have transferred out at any point. Um, Obviously, Najee, Smitty could have went pro and decided to come back. So there's a lot in play there. But I think, you know, you just saw a relief of also good kids happy to be playing. You know, we, we did our trip up the Northeast. We uh, went to the we went to the Red Sox game, and it was awesome. I mean, I, I don't want to – I mean, there was only they, – they had had 12.5% capacity. The week as we went up there went to 25%. So we were sitting in Fenway with just one-fourth of the crowd. And I imagine every game – you know, every game we've been to there has just been – you know, balls to the wall. It's just wide open. I mean, it's crowded as it can get. And um, so this time we had 25%. The thing I did notice with the fan, with the, the players, is like Trout was engaging the fan, like coming to the fence and stopping and taking uh, to selfies before the game. He was out there talking to some uh, someone he might have known. He ended up holding their baby. I saw Otani point to the crowd after he hit a home run. I think a lot of players appreciated having fans and being able to play. So I think that factored into Alabama too. Cause they, when you look at it, those guys seemed really happy for a whole season. They, they did. Oh, they had fun. They rolled, you know, guitars on touchdowns. They made big plays. They didn't fight. They didn't pout. They didn't get upset, you know, in a game where they were struggling or, you know, perceived struggling. So, um, just a great team. And Mac obviously had his bigger personality. You know, the great thing for me about Mac is that we knew how he was. You know, we discussed it several times, and Alabama fans knew. We discussed 
Mac had the locker room. Like I knew something was up with Mac when after a football game, he was in the social media stories of Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, and all that. What Tua? He's probably getting interviewed, but Mac was in those guys' stories. They just loved him. So you knew he had the locker room. He had a big personality. And then he goes through, you know, through the uh, the Heisman, you know, presentation. You got to see his personality more. And then during the draft, the whole world got introduced to him. And we're hearing that confidence carry over from the Patriots. So, you know, such a tough, you know, such a tough, tough uh, ranking to do, really. Fun exercise with the Joneses. Maybe we'll do it with the Smiths or – the uh, Johnsons or the uh, Williamses or something down the road. You know, with the Smiths, you got Devontae, Andre, with, and Tim Smith just off the top of my head. Let's do it with the Ingrams. Less debates. <laughs> Probably got some Davises we could do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I imagine there's a yeah. – uh, we could do some Castiles for sure. Absolutely. Just, just from Jeremiah's brood. So, yeah, some we can do that. We can get them in there. You know what else we can do? We can do the mailbag from the round table. When Boy, we I come back after the break. I thought that was going in another direction. <laughs> Usually it's different for me. Yeah, we've been around each other too. Tim, long you know what you point, can do? So. That usually isn't. You can go to lunch with me. Usually doesn't follow. Right. Right. Well, we'll uh, we'll get into the mailbag. How about that? When the Bama Online Podcast returns. Right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast, a T. Watson PR edition on this Wednesday, July the 7th, 2021. Tim, let's get into it, man. We always appreciate the good folks there with us on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans everywhere right there at BOL contributing to the mailbag. And so let's get it started with Bama 105.5, who asks, what former recruit slash player does Amari Aber, Abor, I guess it is, remind you most of uh what do you got there uh, amari uh, abor uh, abor abor duncanville texas five-star edge who apparently has made a couple trips to alabama here in the last few months yeah he has i'm terrible with comparisons i either go i'm usually I, you know i'm that guy that's hesitant to compare a high school kid to a great player um really when i watched his film and i did that especially for my my buddy's uh, my question. He gives me a lot of grief. He's one of my favorite posters. He gives me a lot of grief on that message board. But he reminds me of Jeremiah Alexander in a lot of ways. Big guy can set the edge. That's aggressive. Gets that pass rush. He's got a spurt. They're going to play in different positions, obviously, most likely. But physically, they're the same type of player. And they're that guy that can, you know, attack and shed, get to a blocker, you know, blow up a run play pretty quickly. But it's that acceleration at the end that I like from them, from a big guy. You know, they almost like get a – you know, they're not going to be quick 
necessarily at that size, you know, off the block on a takeoff. But once they get that rolling start and then they hit that gear, you know, they're both that sort of that acceleration and quick. I didn't have a former player that came to mind. You know, it, it seemed like for a number of years in doing this, Tim, we would see a lot of edge guys, and you still do. I think Chris Braswell a couple of years ago fit this mold of, you know, six three, six four, two tennis coming out of high school. But what we seem to be seeing more, or at least it seems that way to me, is that guys like Will Anderson, six three, two thirty five, two forty, and showing up from day one physically looking like they can handle more of what comes with playing the outside linebacker position now as compared to maybe some some years ago. Uh, there's no doubt about it. The game's shifting so much, and you're seeing it little by little changing where, you know, and there's been talk, you know, the difference is like with the, uh, Jer- Jeremiah, he's a kid that's probably going to end up um, at, at the backer position. Uh, Amari, he's going to end up on the, at the end for sure. You know, a lot of times you look at these guys, and he's a little bit taller, but Jonathan Allen earlier in his career was sort of leaner like a lot of these guys and grew into that big rush defensive end that we see now. So a lot of, a lot of uh you know, a lot of opportunity with the frames of guys that size. Schematic versatility. Guys like Pete Golding, they love it, where they can cross-train maybe with some guys uh, at end and outside linebacker, maybe outside linebacker and inside linebacker, corner and star, safety and money. more you can do, yeah, better off you are. You know, that's something else. We're seeing positions now merged together there's not you know like the fullback position is basically obsolete you're not seeing the same type inside backers you're almost seeing it almost you know again i talked with charles power about this when he when he was with us is that we don't you know you're sort of seeing just a backer now you know you don't really have that 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 perfect inside linebacker you're seeing a lot of guys some that will project physically a little better inside than they do outside but guys that could still flip outside and and you know do what they need to do Gumpin247 asks, recruit you were most wrong about. In other words, thought they would be great and weren't. Didn't think they were elite as recruits out of high school, but turned into a productive player. Maybe one on both ends of that spectrum. I guess for me, Tim, I think of Ben Davis, given his star ranking coming out of Gordo High School four or five years ago. Never really seemed to work out for Ben for a couple of different reasons. He did have some injury issues during his time at Alabama, and we certainly hope in this extra season that he's going to spend at the University of Texas. Uh, he's able to do some great things for Steve Sarkeesian and the Longhorns. And we talked about the Joneses earlier, and I think Mac Jones, I don't know if anybody saw coming out of high school Mac Jones doing what four years into college Mac Jones did at Alabama. Yeah, you know, for me, I've I've never been wrong. So this is the <laughs> yeah. Must, that's why I went ahead and took that he, you know, he because I knew that you were empty on this one. Yeah, he thought this this was aimed at you, Charlie Kirk, and Hank. Uh, <laughs> for me, the guy I always felt. Well, I always liked Tyler Love. I mean, I was a big fan of his at Mount Brook. I watched him several times. He was a local kid. He was big. He could move. He was strong. Part of me doesn't really want to say he's a miss. He didn't pan out, obviously. But if you remember. He was trapped literally behind first-round picks his entire career. And I mean at left and right tackle. That was the James Carpenter group. You had – he. I mean, the guy had – Fluker, yeah. Juan Joe came in. Yes, yeah. he constantly had a five-star at left or right tackle. 
um, ahead of him, I feel like, when he was there. So never really got a chance. His best chance probably was that last year when he decided to hang it up. But even then, he was running with the second team. So Tyler definitely feels that I was wrong on about him. Mac would be a guy. I I never knew what to make of Mac. Mac was Mac was so different for me. Um, you know, I think I told you the story that Mac called me and basically said, "Why is everybody telling me I should be scared to go to Alabama? To a, you know, the other quarterbacks need to be worried, not me." There was a confidence in him that made me scratch my head. Like, does this guy know something we don't know? <laughs> Turns out he did know something we don't know. So Mac's certainly one of those guys, um, you know, one of the guys I thought personally that I loved that really didn't get any attention that did great. Uh, one of the better ones I liked, and I, I know you liked him too, was Eddie Lacy. Uh, yeah. Burns loved him. We loved him. Uh, the problem is nobody was really talking about him because Trent, you know, Trent Richardson was in that class. Fantastic. Recruit, great college player. He was in that class. There's a little more drama with Trent. Committed, drug it out to sign a day and all that stuff. And Eddie was just pretty quiet. But Eddie was a Eddie was a Eddie was a, a really good hit for Alabama. Red Rip Tide on the round table asks, if you had to predict the top three leading rushers and receiver in order for Alabama this year, who you got? Rushing, I think it's tough because you've got such a stable of Talented backs, Brian Robinson, obviously the most experienced, but if I'm going to go this early and get out there a little bit and pick my top guy and rushing for Alabama, I'm going to go Jace McClellan. I'll go Jace McClellan one, Brian Robinson two, Roydell Williams three. I think it could be tight though. I don't don't think like we talked about with the Joneses, not sure there is a, a wrong early prediction that you can make here. Yeah, I'd go with Jace leading. I think that he's, uh, you know, got a little something special in him. Solomon, Texas, put up phenomenal numbers against the best, uh, you know, some of the best high school talent in Texas. We saw flashes of him last year, and he fits that mold of that, you know, protect the ball high and tight, big, thick-thighed kid who can run, get between tackles, and he's got speed. That's the one thing about him he's got. It's not like the other guys don't have speed, but, yeah, certainly I would I would say Jace is up there. I think Roy Dale's the sleeper. Brian, you know, Brian, you're expecting to have that big gear at some point. Uh, this very well could be it. He's I, the guy you're pulling for yeah, at this point in his career. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want Brian Robinson to be a 1,300-yard rusher this year for him. Yeah. For you me, know, he, yeah, for me, I think he's got the talent to do it. Uh, there's still a little bit of hesitance when he runs, but I think the talent's there. I think at some point, you know, and again, like you said, there's three, you know, we're, you know, it also depends how, you know, Trey Sanders, where he's at, Kamar Wheaton, it came in late in the class, but that kid can fly. So there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of talent, but there's a lot of uncertainty around that running back room. But, you know, Keelan, you know, you know, Keelan who left, Keelan Robinson went to Texas. He was, he, you know, he looked the part as well. So that tells you how much talent's in that room that we go through one spring. He waited a whole year to come back to Alabama goes through one spring and sees that running back room and decides to leave. So definitely a lot of talent there. The receivers, the receivers, that's going to be crazy. I mean, you can say, you can say Mechie pretty easily with this guy coming back, but man, those, you know, Hall and some of those younger guys, they're going to have a chance to do something too. And they got big play capability as well. So that's another one where you could just toss it up. I think. Yeah, with the receivers, obviously, you look at Mechie, number one, but it, it could go any number of directions once you get past John Mechie. 
you got to think Jalil Billingsley is in the top three, but you know, even if he has an Irv Smith Jr. type season from 2018, um, you know, that's 40 receptions for a tight end. But I do think, unlike 2018, not as many guys uh, at the wide receiver position, at least going into the season. So uh, Jalil could be used in a lot of ways, similar to a wide receiver. I'll go Javon Baker. It's been a lot of talk to this point yeah. about Baker. Um, we didn't really see it in the 8A game. It's just one scrimmage. Uh, but it seems like he's a constant when you talk about being in that pecking order of the top three guys in the rotation. Maybe Slade Bolden factors into this too, but I could also see Slade losing some targets to, say, Jalil Billingsley and maybe even some of the uh, – the other tight ends and some of the running backs for that matter in the passing game. So those would probably be my three Mechie Billingsley. And I'll take a little bit of a flyer on Javon Baker. Yeah. I can't argue with any of that. I'm curious to see me, you know, the freshmen are, are, are always the wild card for me covering recruiting and focusing on that. I still think Jojo Earl, I mean, there's so much, you know, not being there early certainly doesn't help, but I still think Jojo Earl's, Got some of that talent, you know. He, you know, he's a guy that can go deep across the middle. He's he can be that guy in the slot too, sort of that rugs type character, very elusive, very quick. Not not a huge guy, so he's a little bit of a sleeper. And you know, it surprises me we're not hearing more about Jacory Brooks. Uh, I think a guy, Aggie, a guy uh, took his sort of that credit with that spring game. Um, not took a credit, but earned the bulk of the reception and discussion as a freshman wide receiver, but I still think Brooks has that talent to come in uh, more of a mature, quiet, subdued guy than some of the others. I think he's one that could come in and push for playing time, <clears throat> but you know, the key is with a lot of these freshmen is how are they blocking? Yeah. Competition. That stuff we're not seeing right now. They're not blocking. We're not seeing that those willing, engaging blockers are going to get on the field earlier. And what we did see in the eight, a game was that Bryce young in terms of comfortability, with receivers, he looks to be already very comfortable with Trayshawn Holden and both of them with ties to California, obviously. Um, he went to trade, he went Trayshawn Holden's way a good bit in the spring game. Who knows what that'll mean coming up in the fall? I guess the point being multiple wild cards potentially in play when you talk about receiving options for this Alabama team in 2021. Mongo BS on the round table wants to know, about the impact of name, image, and likeness on recruiting, if any. What do you think, Tim? Seeing some stuff here in the last few days, say like University of Oregon with Phil Knight, the Nike uh, bigwig out there in the Pacific Northwest. and now, Was that that big of a deal considering it happens after his junior year? I, I didn't think it was, but yeah, it does. I, I was like, He's a top five pick in the draft, probably, if he has a good season. One of my favorite recruits I've seen, edge rushers, uh, mm-hmm. on that West Coast. A lot of, you know, we they get a lot, they probably get a little bit extra bump out there, you know, for being that Hollywood style. But, you know, Thibodeau is a guy who's a legitimate edge rusher. Talking to guys with the NFL earlier, he's going to be a top five pick. So I don't see how signing him after his career's over for $100,000 is that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, I guess the 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 inherent concern for a lot of college football fans is that they look directly at ties that schools have to people and uh, like Phil Knight, and and the rules are different. You know, like 
mostly they're institutional rules. Yeah. What might be a rule at Alabama isn't a rule at Oregon. I guess that's as big a concern as anything else and how that could you know, sort of parlay into the recruiting aspect of things. But Nike has so much to lose by showing. Pro- oh, no, no, no. Nike I mean? has nothing to gain by loading up on just Oregon. Or Oregon. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They can't just say, Tim Watts, come play three years, and then afterwards we'll give you $100,000 as a parting gift. I don't think – I mean, there's a lot of Nike schools involved across the country who I can't imagine will sit still for that. The interesting one was the gym, the MMA guys at Miami. Uh, (laughs) Those guys probably won't be around. You know, gyms aren't really known to be a great investment anyways, right? No, no. Gyms, gyms, boats. Yeah, restaurants. Monster Mark. trucks. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are things you should go for. So I saw the MMA chain handed it out. I said, this is going to be pretty interesting. I like the Arkansas offensive line doing the deal with the uh, barbecue restaurant, I guess it is, out in maybe uh, Fayetteville. That that just what sounds happened? right. See that one. Oh, I'm sure that's a trade. You know, oh. them fellas are just they're trading. You know, they're trading tweets or uh, influences for – for barbecue plates. Hell yeah. That was what I'd be down with, especially if I was out there and I'm a big dude, big offensive lineman. Now the team dietitian, I'm not sure they, the nutritionist may not like that, that trade, you know, it's like your big left tackle teaming with like heat pizza bar in Tuscaloosa for all the pizza they can eat. They probably don't, they probably don't dig that too much. If that were, were to play out that way. Hey, um, Tim rising tide 21 in the mailbag ass, which of the newcomers are most likely to make an impact? Also, which player who's been buried buried on the depth chart is primed to emerge? I would say in terms of newcomers, if we're talking about transfers, freshmen, junior college transfers, things like that. I mean, Henry Toa Toa is the obvious answer, isn't he? Jamison Williams, maybe at wide receiver. Yeah, I like both of those guys. Um, you know, if you're talking like signees, you know, obviously Henry is going to be a guy that's going to be hard to keep off the field. Um, Jamison, the wide receiver, has got a chance to play. Speedy guy. Uh, a lot of people like him. But, you know, if you're talking about like the impact guys, I still think you have to go back to, you know, Kool-Aid or Kyrie Jackson. Kool-Aid certainly. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kool-Aid did what I expected him to do in that spring game. He had picked off some passes. He got cussed out, you know, by Coach <laughs> Coach Saban yelled at him, you know, we don't walk on the damn or whatever he said. Don't walk. Tough on the love. Yeah. Tough love. But I think Kool-Aid's the kind of kid that can handle that. I think he had, was it one interception or two? He had one. Okay. Yeah. He had one. Uh, so he had a pick. He made some nice plays. I think both of those guys, um, you have to consider a chance. And that's secondary with Pat's role to fill that they'll be trying to compete opposite of, of Joe. So for the incomers, that'd be a couple I'd look at. And also you got those big offensive tackles with, you know, Brockermeyer, um, you got Brockermeyer as a kid that, you know, probably looked like he had to adjust a little bit to the speed of the game to me. Um, I had some guys pointing that out. It's funny how a true freshman could go in against Will Anderson or whoever. And, uh, you know, you know, people question, you know, whether he's a bust that quick. But, you know, he's a big guy. But, uh, of course, we saw J.C. Latham. Had a little trouble with the speed as well, but another dancing bear, big guy that can move. So maybe one of those offensive tackles step up and play as well. Yeah, and as far as players who have been buried on the depth chart, 
who could emerge this season. I think Jalen Armour Davis is a guy. I know we talk about Kool-Aid, and you're right. Had an interception, also had a fumble recovery in the 8A game, so McKinstry's going to be tough to keep off the field. But I give Jalen Armour Davis a lot of credit. Had the knee injury early in his career, has had to kind of wait out the wait out the uh, rotation a little bit there at corner, but had a really good spring, so I would put him in that mix. Uh, he's got a lot to compete with there at corner. Kyrie Jackson coming in, McKinstry, Marcus Banks is capable. You already got Josh Job on one side. Uh, and then maybe offensively, I would look at Cam too at tight end. Uh, continued to hear a lot of good things about him in the spring. He showed up nicely in the 8A game. So as far as veterans or program vets that have been around three or four years now, I'd probably go probably go Jalen Armour Davis, Cameron Latou, maybe Tommy Brown if things work out for him at guard. Any other names come to mind for you? No, there, uh, Armour Davis, Tim? The, no, Armour Davis is the one that jumped out to me the most. You know, you hear you see him make a few good plays. You're, you know he's got the potential there. Been, you know, it's been a little bit tough, you know, to get on the field. A little bit slower than maybe we expected, but we knew there was a learning curve involved there. You get Pat locking down one cornerback position for three years, and uh, <clears throat> obviously Job stepped up and took that role when they were battling for it last year. But he's a good pick in my opinion. That's going to do it for the BOL Roundtable Mailbag on this edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Hey, Tim, uh, you got any shows? You got any flicks? You got any uh, streams that you you might want to share with us that you've no, perhaps I'm, been involved with? Like horror people. I like this show, uh, shoot, was it Fear Street? It just happened. It was that, it was that damn good, huh? Well, it was on Netflix. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I'm not great with the names, but it was uh, – it came out. Netflix has a three-part series on horror movies, and the first one came out this week. Fear, Yeah, it is Fear Street, part one, 1994. They're doing a three-part series, and I loved it because it I was able to watch it with our daughter, who's 14. You know, the old – you know, it's like she loves horror movies. She's like wants to watch – our horror movies, but all of our horror movies had the, you know, had nudity and everybody was getting sex and stabbed through the back and all that <laughs> stuff. So it's hard to watch it with or without having to, you know, fast forward and close her eyes through it. So this was a little bit better version of not having to do with that 80s, 90s movies, movies we grew up with. Had that old feel to it, uh, feel to it, obviously 1994, that vibe to it. But I thought it was pretty good. Um, shows I've just been catching up on old shows, getting ready for something new. Letter Kenny's coming out not too long from now, I think. Ted Lasso's coming out. I know you. you have you seen that? I haven't seen it. I I've heard a lot about it. I got to do that. Me. Have yes. you seen Queen of the South? Queen. Yes, that girl's really good in that. That is kind of like uh, another version of Narcos or it something. You know? Little guy. I saw the first year and I thought it would go really hokey. Uh, but it didn't. It went good. It's got really good. You know, you know who really digs that show? The right. Wife, which got me a little worried. I don't know what type of ish she might have kind of lined up for me, uh, you know. You're worried because your wife likes a show where all the women kill off the powerful men. And take it, it, or guys uh, who think they're powerful. Yeah, exactly. So you thought. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of predictable and. Almost Scarface wannabe ish in some spots, but damn if it didn't get us, didn't get us, you know, kind of tied the, up and committed to it. Now the lead actress, you know, she's she's not very big, she's pretty, 
So you don't know she can come off as savage, but she does it well. She comes off as a gangster really well when she needs to. You know, there was no, you know, she started as a damsel in, you know, distress. Yeah. She ends up where she is. So she's she's done a really good job with that role. And something else, we've cut the cord, man. We've cut the cable cord at Casa de Rire. We're YouTube TV as a building block now. Streaming, bro. Streaming everything. I don't know about you guys, but man, YouTube TV, I'm, I'm in a, uh, I got a big crush on YouTube TV right now. I get all the local channels, get all the sports channels, even like the ACC network that no one wants. Uh, and it's like 70 bucks a month. I'll tell you what streaming is ruined is texting with your friends in a game. I know. And I've already had, believe me, I've already had that put to me and I don't look forward to that. Well, you're either football season. But I'll I just mean, mute the hell out of everybody. I got no well, problem doing that too, Tim. I'll mute the hell out of everybody. Sometimes I'm the one ahead. You know, sometimes I'm the one ahead. So I say something. I'll, you, and you'll yeah. find out early in the game, you'll go, holy crap. And they'll go, what happened? So you already know. Uh, you're but looking. I was already going through that with like stats broadcasts when I would watch games on television and follow along on stats broadcast. Um, I had to be careful about keeping that browser window down. Because even with cable, stats broadcast would be ahead of the cable feed at times. So I got to come up with a game plan for that delay. Well, once I find I'm ahead, I don't mind trolling a little bit. Like, wow, wait. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's that's You're like Woj used to be at the NBA draft. Used to run it, all the picks for everybody. I don't know. I'll say, wow, wait till you see this. And, oh. nothing, and nothing happened. You know, so they're sitting there for 10 minutes like, what, what? I was like, oh, Oh, you must have a different feed. Yeah. This was on my feed. I had the alternate ending to Alabama LSU. You didn't see the three-run home run like I did? Wow. All right, Tim, you made that trip up to the Northeast that we've alluded to on the podcast today. Uh, Visited some ballparks. Was was Fenway the only ballpark? Did you get to Nationals Park? What in in NYC? Dude, it would have been – you're talking about a sports trip. This could have been the greatest sports trip in history. You had the Nuggets were at home in the playoffs. We had the Celtics were in the playoffs. We had the Mets and the Yankees. We were there six days, and they both were there. And the Knicks were in the playoffs at home when we were, yeah. in, when we were in those cities. The Nationals were at home. We could have seen all four baseball stadiums, all three home games, um, but we only saw Fenway because – was that the first trip to Fenway? No, it's the second one. First yeah, time, I, I thought you'd been there. First time we went, we had we set up in the upper deck, and it was awesome. You know, the thing I love about it, uh, uh, like when you see those that fan, that kind of fan base and that crowd, is it was only a twenty five percent, but it when they sang "Sweet Caroline" or they had big moments, it yeah, was, it middle of the eighth, it's loud yeah. almost is that full capacity. Plus, it was Otani; he hit one off the wall, he hit a homer, so it was really cool. Trout. You know, didn't do anything, but it was a really good game. The the it's you know it's easy to walk to. It's small. It's quaint. It's got all those little things you do. We'd have probably went to more, but we'd been locked in the house for uh, two years or hadn't really been able to go out for over a year. It's been two yeah. years in vacation, so we just wanted to go. Never been to DC. Been to New York a few times. Been to Boston a few times. So uh, rank those. Rank the three cities after the visit. Boston, NYC, DC. Yeah. For me, New York's always going to be number one because 
I we can go and we can go for you know and we'll go for six to eight days when we go too. So, but we can have a day where we're all doing something different. Or the two oldest boys, they're eighteen, at nineteen and twenty. They can go down to Fifth Avenue and, and look at sh- shit they can't afford. You know, look at the <laughs> they go to the stores. You know, the thing you get those fake wa- Rolexes though, can't you? No, and not, bags. Not the watch children. They're, if anything, they'll be, <laughs> they'll be selling the car I bought them to get the real one. My children are a little different, <sighs> but then you can have the wife go to the Met with my daughter, which they enjoy. Then me, me and my youngest son, Gray. We could go to, you know, get, you know, do whatever we wanted to do. There's so many things to do. So New York City's always going to be number one for me. Um, but I've never went when it's super crowded. We're thinking about going this Christmas, but I've never been. I usually go May, early May, late May, early June before the crowd gets going. It gets too hot. I've never been there for people. Like I see it at Christmas, and I've always thought, wow, you got to be pretty insane to go to Disney World or. New York City around that tree at Christmas, although we might actually do it. Um, Boston's great. It's small. We are, you know, haven't been there before. You, you, there's really not a lot of different stuff to see. They have the Isabella Gardner Museum. Have you seen that special on Netflix about this, or have you heard about this robbery? No. I'm gonna send you a link. It's amazing. I have friends who lived in Boston who never heard of this museum. Wow. This, this museum was robbed. Netflix just did a special. I'll send you the link. It was robbed and no one's ever found the paintings and some really expensive, famous painters. And they leave the empty spaces on the wall where the painting, it used to be a lady's house as I understand it. So almost like a little castle. So they have that, which we love DC. First time there, we liked it. It was flat. You know, thank you, Jesus. I I worked up some blisters. Boston's got some Hills. New York's got some distance. Uh, You'll for, get your steps in D.C. Absolutely. The most uh, still closed. They still had a lot of their stuff closed. So we didn't feel the pressure to see everything on the first trip. I'll tell you a funny story. So I was smoking a cigar at the end of the day and I was sitting out by this. I found an alley and I'm sitting out in the back where there's a bench. And I smoke a cigar while the family gets ready for dinner and I relax. We, I mean, we walk. We, I think we walked 96 miles on this trip. Heather, Heather docked it. But um, so I'm smoking a cigar. People had walked up and looked at this building behind me and I kept looking like, I don't get it. Why are they here? I never understood it. Well, on the very last day, a group walks out. I'm sitting in the alley where John Wilkes Booth escaped after shooting smoking well, a cigar. You know, the parallels I, I think between you and, and John, you I know, mean, some people true. might say they could be drawn there. Well, I, I mean, I should have figured it out. People the symmetry, the symmetry, know. some people might say, was perfect. Well, the back had changed. They'd obviously bricked in the windows and other stuff, but they, the theater was on the other side. It just never registered. When I, by the time that ended the day, I was done mentally. I was ready to eat. But I just <laughs> thought it was funny. I've been sitting where John Wilkes Booth escaped from, you know, the a lot of history assassination. And I'm wow. Just, like, what up? No big deal. So I like DC all right. I'd like to go back, but it's probably not going to be my favorite. I mean, the the monuments and everything were outstanding. The I like to eat and drink. So the Georgetown area, DC. See that? Is, yeah, that's that, what I dig. We as didn't much as get, anything. We didn't get to that area. We stayed right in the middle of the city. We didn't mm-hmm. get to the area you're talking about until the last day. We went out by. We went to the zoo. They had the pandas, which was pretty cool. So we went to the zoo. And then we found a place to eat right around that area, and it, dude, that was that. That was a great area. That's that's 
the food was great, the atmosphere is great, the shopping was great. So the next time we go back to D.C., we'll stay more in that area and then just make our way over to the uh, the monuments and stuff we didn't get a chance to see. Yeah, I, I, I started my day pissed off because of a trip for this weekend that has already been altered. It's taking my stepdad up to Chicago to see a Cubs game. Oh, man, that'd be great. Two Cubs games. Oh, my get, the, get the email last night. Uh, your Wednesday flight has been canceled. And so now it's turning into just a basically a Thursday, Friday trip where I'm trying to squeeze in between Thursday night and Friday night. I'm trying to squeeze in two Cubs games, an architectural boat tour, uh, a blues gig at the Kingston Mines and dinner at a spot, you know, in Chicago. That's what the trip's been reduced to. But, uh, I guess I'll get over it, you know. I guess I'll get over it. No, that sucks. I mean, we had we had a, a trip. I haven't even told. We're, I'm taking Heather to France in the uh, middle of August, and uh, we got the flight, and it was a pain in the butt to get the flight because we're trying to use miles to get the, the actual flight. And while we were doing that, it said we could use the miles, but it wouldn't let us go through. So we ended up having to call call. We got the flight and everything else. And I swear to you. That one leg of the flight was canceled the next morning. Yeah, I felt I feel your pain. So are you are you going to be able to get? Yeah, like we're we're not leaving now until tomorrow. And so as soon as we get into Midway, straight to the hotel, check in, immediately turn around, get to Wrigley, catch as much of the seven o'clock game tomorrow night with the Phillies as we can. And then I had other stuff lined up throughout the day on Thursday. That's gone. So now that's being moved to Friday. So I'm trying to squeeze in architectural tour Friday morning, Cubs at 120, dinner at 7, at my favorite Italian spot in Chicago, and then Joanna Connor, one of my favorite blues guitarists that night at the Kingston Mines. I, look, you know, Do it. it's going to be like, it's to gonna be the elderly. It's gonna be the senior citizen version of Ferris Bueller's Day Off on Friday. Is what I'm basically trying to pull it's off now. It's the Cameron version. <laughs> Cameron was a very old, seventeen year old boy. You know? Yeah, I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to rent a vintage Porsche though. Your convertible. Is that going to be the riverboat deal? Yeah, that's the riverboat, which oh, is awesome. It's like seventy five minutes. They tell you all about the buildings. Yeah, riding up that river. Chicago scene. River. Yeah. yeah that and they a, got a full bar on that yeah, boat. Yeah, and the kids, yeah, Heather remembers that. She's like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's at the tail end of that. Because uh, you got to stay cool and hydrated, you know? Yeah, well, it was just the tail. It, it was a welcome surprise. I'll tell you one funny story before we go. Well, we're in Boston, um, and, and everything was falling open as we went. Boston was an open city when we got there, but we went on a whale-watching tour. And we are in the middle of the ocean watching whales, which was unbelievable. Saw a ton of whales. Uh, they, we had to wear a mask and stay six feet apart on top of a boat in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, we were, literally, I said, I don't know what the hell these whales got, but <laughs> I should, yeah. But it was funny as all the people up there would say, like, when did y'all open? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. When did we close? What are you talking yeah, about? We, yeah. You can't, you got a token, you got a club, but they were like a lot <laughs> of people. It was just pretty interesting. They found out where we're from saying, 
you know, having an opinion. You know, those restaurant workers, they were in front, but I just found it odd we're in the middle of the ocean wearing a mask. Yeah, that's uh, that's different. I don't mind. Did the whale watching up there? That wasn't required, but uh, you know, I was a little surprised by that. Uh, my other got a little seasick. Did you guys get through that all right? Um, I know we. I, yeah, we got through it all right. You know, I mean, Heather went on a cruise several years ago, and I stayed seasick during the trip and after the oof. trip. And so we knew. I didn't know I had seasickness. And so this time I took the uh, Dramamine or whatever, so I was fine. Yeah, you're ready. Yeah, yeah, they tell you to to maybe do that as a precaution. Well, Tim, I think we covered it, man. It was a lot of fun. Discuss the Chicago trip. We want to hear. Yeah, how- yeah, yeah, that that could go. That could. There's. I don't think there's going to be any in between. It's either going to get pulled off and uh, go smoothly, or who the hell knows at this point. But we do know Jeremiah Alexander expected to make an announcement of significance on Thursday. So we'll have complete coverage of that for you at BamaOnline.com, of course. Right, Tim? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Look forward to it. Always a lot of fun with Tim. We always thank you for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast, which if you haven't subscribed to as of yet, you should do that. Easy as a click or two. And if you leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate that as well. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryder, thanking you again for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast. We'll see you at BOL right there on the round table. Well, pretty much 24-7. It says it right there in the name. So long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.